Every good gift and every perfect. Now, if you if you on your sheet there, if you want to circle the word perfect, because that's kind of the first superlative. It's an when something is perfect, it's at an unsurpassed level. Now we always have a saying: nobody's perfect, but the Lord is perfect. And so this 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 message is basically telling us some superlatives about His greatness. Okay, every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, that means he's his changeableness, he's always the same, neither shadow of turning. <coughs> and that's where we'll start. Superlatives are to be generally avoided by writers to promote a realistic writing. In other words, a lot of people who write and compose books and material, they don't use superlatives because they think it's unrealistic. However, note, the Holy Spirit is not limited by the suggestions of man. The Holy Spirit is unlimited, and so we can use superlatives to describe our Father, which art in heaven, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Help us, Lord, to see your greatness and your goodness tonight, and help us to see that you are certainly worthy of any superlative we could come up with and help us to realize that in in your case and in uh, our trying to understand you, it's certainly good for us to think along this line of these superlatives in Scripture. Help us to learn from the lesson in a way that's helpful tonight, and we'll thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me give you the definition. That's our next point there on your sheets. If you were to go to a dictionary... A superlative designates highest quality. And of course, our Lord has the highest quality of anybody. So it's okay. That's a superlative that belongs to him. Number two, a superlative is something excellent in value. So it's not like a value meal at Burger King or McDonald's. They're not even close to a value meal. But something that's excellent in value would be called a superlative. Number three, it's an exaggerated language. And number four, it is worthy of high praise. And all those things we'll see in just a moment are characteristics of our Lord. I'm going to give you five examples of some superlatives in Scripture. These are superlatives that are actually and totally true about our Lord. And we can't deny them. These are, these are actually things we can say about him that we can't say about anybody else. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. So take a second, truck on over there to Isaiah chapter 55, and look at verse number 7. I like verse number 6 in Isaiah 55 where it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he was near. But I want to look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. (coughs) And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So God's pardon, number one, is abundant. 
I think of the song that a friend of ours, uh, they're a young couple and they got excited about serving the Lord and they took off to Bible college. And when they got to Bible college, they started singing as a duet. And one of the songs they liked to sing was Mercy, Mercy, God's Loving Mercy, because it's abundant and his pardon is abundant. It is more than enough. It is plentiful. And so when we think about God's mercy and God's pardon towards us, it's more than anything we've ever experienced from human beings. A judge can maybe show some mercy and some pardon, but that's not going to last forever. And man can give us some mercy and a pardon, but that won't last forever. But God's pardon, it says in verse 7, is abundant. It's an abundant pardon. So that's the first superlative and connection with our Lord. The second one is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 19. I'm going to give all of us a chance to try to find these because I think it's important that you see them yourself so you get the idea. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. Times like this, I'm jealous of you folks that have smartphones because you just, and you're there. That's what my wife, she does that. But I still like the sound of rustling pages, so I, I do it the old way, okay? Let's look at Ephesians 3 and verse number 19. We are to know the love of Christ. Well, let me read verse 18 so you kind of pick up the drift here. Let me, let me go to 17. <laughs> that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height, and to know, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth, passeth knowledge. So knowledge is your word for number two. The love of Christ passes, passes human knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The, the love of God is beyond finding out. Now, I think it was the Sunday before last when Rich sang the love of God. Is that right? It was the Sunday before last. That's, a, that's an awesome hymn. It's a, it's a very powerful hymn. But in the hymn, it talks about the love of God just can't be expressed. It's a superlative. It is, it is beyond measure. It is beyond finding out. And it says uh, that we, we need to study the love of Christ and look at it and, and, and that we can learn about the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of his love. And even if we learn it all, there's still more. It's kind of like the young teenage couple that, you know, when they're about ready to get married and he says, uh, I love you. And then she says, no, I love you more. And then they go back and forth for about an hour. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. Well, we could get in that, we could get in that tussle with the Lord. And we say, Lord, I love you. And he would echo back, no, I love you more. And we say, yeah, but I really love you. And he'd say, no, I love you more. Why? Because his love passes knowledge. And those superlatives help us to understand the bigness and the greatness of his love. And so do hymns like the love of God. So that would be the second one tonight. The third one is found in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 9, and verse number 15. You probably noticed that I'm not quite as talkative in the 
evening lessons as I am in the morning lessons. In the morning, I've got all kinds of energy. In the evening, I slow down in my old age. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Now we're going to talk about the unspeakable, his unspeakable gift. Number three here, God's gift of salvation is unspeakable. Look at verse number uh, 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable. There's the superlative. The unspeakable gift of salvation. It's, uh, it's more than words can explain. Um, sometimes as a preacher, we'll ask for a word of testimony and we'll say, what does God's salvation mean to you? You know, you could come up, we could get, tonight we could get 5, 10, we could get 15, 16 answers and that would not begin to scratch the surface, the surface of how valuable the gift of salvation is. I mean, it's, a, it's an eternal home in heaven. It's golden streets. It's no pain, no sorrow. It's perfect health. It's unspeakable. And God's gift to us is unspeakable. We can't say that about any human gifts, or we can't say that about anything that man has to offer to us. The songwriter says, For he is so special to me. And the Lord really is. He is especially special. So special that it is unspeakable. So we have the superlative of abundant in his mercy and pardon. His love, which passes knowledge, number two. His gift of salvation, which is really more than words. We can't really explain it. It's unspeakable. And number four, we see that God's life in us, that would be Christ in us, is more abundant Look at John in 10 and verse number 10. John 10 and verse number 10. <coughs> Jesus here explaining to, to others, he says, I am the door in verse nine, in 9. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so there's your fourth superlative. It is more than sufficient, the abundant life he promises us in Christ. If you need a hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. He's, he, there's an abundance of him. And everything we could ever ask or think about or need, he has it to give to us and to share with us. So God's life, the life that we have in Christ, is an abundant life. It's kind of a repeat of number one there, his abundant mercy, his abundant pardon. But we see that the life of Christ, that uh, we can have it more abundantly, that life that he promises us. Now we go to 2 Corinthians 9.11 and look at the fifth one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11. <coughs> I'll start reading verse 10. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness. There it is. 
being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. And that word bountifulness carries with it the idea of God's great generosity. He is so generous. Now, I've met some generous people over the years, and um, I don't want to brag on how generous they were towards our family, but it's always, a, it's always a thrill and it's always exciting when somebody is generous towards us. And uh, I just want you to know that you can, nobody beats the Lord's generosity towards us. I was talking to a farmer in our church up in Eulen, and uh, we were praying for rain because the crops weren't getting the rain they needed. And I asked him, his name was Rick. I said, Rick, I said, do you know that in California, when they water a lot of the grape, the grape fields or the grape vines, that the water is metered when it comes to those grape vines, those grape fields, and you buy it per gallon or so many gallons you pay for water for your grape vines? And uh, I said, think about it, Rick. I said, you've got four or 500 acres up here in northern Minnesota. How many times has God charged you for the rain that he put on your crops? And he said, never has. Never has. Now, if the government could figure out a way to charge you folks for the rain that falls, they would probably try it. But isn't it amazing that all the rain we get is a gift of God? How about the solar power? All the solar power we get is a gift of God, and the government hasn't figured out how to charge us for that, unless you've got a generator that's somehow connected to your house. How about the wind? Do the wind tower people, do they pay God for using his wind? No charge. Why? Because he's generous. That's his nature. He is super abundantly generous. He fills us with bountifulness, number five. And so what do we have here? In God's pardon that's abundant, in his love that passes knowledge, and in his gift of salvation that's unspeakable, and his abundance that he gives us in John 10.10, and the bountifulness he gives us in 2 Corinthians 9.11. Let me make a quick list here of what we have in Christ. First of all, letter A, we have a love, a love that can never be phantoms. You say, well, I know how much God loves me. No, you don't. You'll never know how much he loves you. I'll tell you what, it's a lot. And he loves you this much, and then this much, and then this much, and this much. You know, the picture of the Jesus on the cross. This is how much he loves us. It can't be fathomed. Secondly, we have a life. In Christ, we have a life that can never die. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, what's the next word? Everlasting life. He gives us in Christ a life that will never die. Letter C, we are given a righteousness, a righteousness in Christ that will never tarnish. We are given a righteousness that will never tarnish. Letter D, we are given a peace, a peace that is hard to understand. The world doesn't know anything about the peace of Jesus. But those of us that are believers and those of us that love to study his word, he helps us understand the great peace that he has. Even though sometimes it's unspeakable and we can't explain it, we know it's there because he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. Letter E, we have a rest that can never be disturbed in Christ. 
Letter F, we have a joy that is rarely disappointed. Letter G, we have a hope. A hope in Christ that is without disappointment. And go back up to the top there. Letter H, we have a glory that can never be clouded. And as I'm reading these, you're probably thinking of various verses that you can pluck in here. Because there's no way in, a, in the short 20 minutes that we have together tonight for me to explain all the verses that would verify all this. Letter I, we have a light that can never be darkened. Letter J, we have a happiness that need not be interrupted. Letter K, we have a strength in Christ that cannot be matched. What a big brother to have. I have four brothers, and that's why when I was in high school, even though I was a runt, nobody ever picked on me. They wouldn't pick on me because they'd have to fight my four brothers. And uh, the Lord is the ultimate big brother. Who wants to tangle with the Lord? Well, some try, and they fail miserably. But Goliath learned the hard way. doesn't pay to go against David's Lord. Because David in Christ had a strength that could not be matched. Letter L. We have a purity that can never be defiled. In Christ we can have complete and total purity. In the flesh we lack that. But as long as we remain in Christ, <coughs> he will help us. Letter M. We have a beauty in Christ that is never marred. And in letter N. We have a wisdom the wisdom of God is never baffled. He's not fooled. We are sometimes, but he isn't. And then, oh, the last one, we have resources that can never be exhausted. Let me go over them again for you quickly in case you missed one. A is love that can never be fathomed. B is life that can never die. C, righteousness that will never tarnish. D is a peace that is hard to understand. E is a rest that can never be disturbed. <coughs> F is a joy that is rarely disappointed. G is a hope that is without disappointment. H is a glory that can never be clouded. I is a light that can never be darkened. J is a happiness that need not be interrupted. K is a strength that cannot be matched. L is a purity that can never be defiled. M is a beauty that is never marred, and N is a wisdom that is never baffled, and O leads us to resources that can never be exhausted. Now let's go to James 15 and verse 15, and we'll close this up. James 15, verse 15, if you want to write that on your paper for a later look at it, you certainly can. James 15 is, or did I say James? John 15 is what I want. Sorry if I said James there. John 15 is the chapter on abiding in the true vine. Abiding in the true vine. <coughs> we read in verse 1 of John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. And then it goes on and it talks about the branches in me that bear fruit. And on and on we go, we down get to 5, 6, 7. We get down there to verse uh, 9. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And he says, continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And by the way, that verse 11 has been a key verse in my life. I claim that oftentimes because my fleshly joy runs out. And uh, some days it runs out quicker than other days because the world robs it from me. But I like this promise here in verse 11, and it says, you, you can have my joy, and my joy will remain in you so that your joy might be full. I want to get to verse 15. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now look at verse 15. He says, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. You know, what an amazing truth. You know, we sing the song and we don't even think about it. What a friend we have in Jesus. And by the way, he loved us first. We love him because he first loved us. First John 4, 19, I believe. And this idea that he calls us his friend. He says, I have called you friends for all the things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you. And so what we need to choose to do is to remain in him and watch him bring forth much fruit in our lives. And he will bring that much fruit through us as we surrender to his leadership and to his love. We have so much to be thankful for. I was telling my wife again tonight, I turned on the 5.30 news and after 10 minutes I told her, I said, why do I watch the news? I can't do anything about so many of the problems they talk about. But I just, I'm the kind of guy that, that likes to be informed. But to be honest with you, there's so little to be thankful for between 5.30 and 6 as you watch the news. And if you go to your Bible, there's so much to be thankful for. We have so much in Christ. And these superlatives that we looked at tonight definitely give us a truer picture of the excellent Lord that we serve. His pardon is abundant. His love is past knowledge. His gift of salvation is unspeakable. His life, the life we have in Christ, is abundant. And through God, we have a bountifulness that the world knows nothing of. And that is my challenge for the evening. Now, on Sunday night...